0: Turn the on you. So let's just worship. Amen. You're worthy, Jesus. You're worthy, Jesus. You're worthy, God. You're worthy of every song, God. You're worthy of every breath, Lord. You're worthy. You're worthy, Jesus i yeah. say worthy of every breath we could ever be we live for you for you holy
1: to talk about a few things you remember where um matthew 27 the scribes and these pharisees they came to pilate they said look we had we heard a rumor this deceiver speaking of jesus he said after three days he's going to rise again and so you got to set this tomb. you got to make it secure you got to set guards help us because if something happens and they steal the body, the second deception will be worse than the first, remember that? So they come and they set, a pilot says, okay, so they set the guards, they seal the tomb. They thought they had sealed it off, that was it, the purpose of God was going to be held back, thwarted. Whatever God had in mind, it was going to be thwarted. Lo and behold, an earthquake, God sent an earthquake, remember? And then all of a sudden, help comes out of heaven. An angel comes, rolls away the stone. So the purpose, the enemy thought that he was going to stop from happening, it happened. And I was thinking about that. You know, there are things about our lives, purposes that God has spoken. And so the enemy is called wind of what you're called to do and he said now you got to look you got to send some special demons or something and to guard and seal and shut it off put a stone in front of it so nothing will happen but i'm telling you god's about to roll away the stones the purposes are going to be fulfilled every word god has spoken over your life it's going to happen it comes by way of heaven too because he sent angels and uh it was a great earthquake now last week i wanted to cover this so i got to talk about it real quick Because i got sick i couldn't do it but you know when the church retreats evil advances you cannot be quiet in this hour you it just if you are silent we will be held greatly and so there was a movie that came through called the shack and we went to see that movie and you know it's really heartwarming and touching and it's going to when somebody dies you know a child is kidnapped and all And then when we got home, we listened to an interview of a man who knew personally the author of the the shack, remembered the very moment when that author went into universalism in this little pastor's group. And uh, so The Shack really is about universalism. It's just hidden. It's really secret. If you were to read the other books written by that author, it would be obvious you would see this stuff is false doctrine. And you wouldn't have bought it. But many are being led away, led astray. Now I know people say, well, there's just a little bit of error there. You, I mean, most of the movie was good. A little leaven leavens a whole lump. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit we have to change our mindset to the way jesus taught things you know what i'm talking about he said a bad tree cannot bear good fruit and uh, so anyway if you didn't pick it up we didn't pick it up either and then we learned we heard the interview but i'm just telling you evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse the church cannot be silent i was going to shout it last week a little bit louder but i know the movie's come and gone But, it's still universalism. Universalism is that universal reconciliation. Everybody eventually will be saved. That is hogwash. There's some in that movement that actually believe the demons and Satan will ultimately be saved. It ain't going to happen. So we don't go there. It's not going to happen. God is a God of love. He's also a God of judgment. And uh, there's the goodness of God and the severity of God and then there's another movie came out I got to touch base on that. It was probably I didn't go see it. I was sick. Shirley saw it beauty and the beast beware Now I know it's just one little scene is what she said But it's a promotion and it was intended to promote homosexuality It's intended to snare our children. It's intended to deceive them they're deceivable So as parents and as the church We have to be wise We give no ground, no compromise One man, one woman And uh, we just can't back off of that and So anyway, I know they're spoiling These really cute little movies That's the way the devil works He, come, he doesn't come like You know, some roaring, snagletooth tiger He comes as an angel of light Now we got to pray about one more thing Alright, you guys with me? we got to pray, because I heard, I saw, where today they're, going to, they're doing it again. The witches and the exorcists and the Satanists all across the world are going to gather today, sundown today. You know you can do that by social media. And so they're going to gather to, to set, what did they say, binding spells against Donald Trump and against anyone that is associated with him, with his cabinet, and the last time we prayed and we broke that stuff. We can't stop. You can't say, well, we did it one time, so that's it. No. you got to keep beating the ground. And so from Moravian Falls, North Carolina, we're going to break the binding spells. Because whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth has already been loosed in heaven. So, how many of you heard about that? It's going to happen today. Witches and warlocks and Satanists. How many of you know It's real. It's a real spiritual battle that's why we're in this generation that's why we've been called to this moment in history not to take a back seat not to retreat but to rise up and be the people of god also so we're going to break those curses our government has got to get to it the purpose of government is to the punishment of evildoers there was some Crimes committed against our nation, against our constitution, over these last many years that have not been dealt with. Our government must press the issue. If our government does not punish evildoers, God will do it. And it's much more unpleasant if God does it. And so our government, I don't know if we have a hundred days. I heard a prophecy about that we have a hundred days. I don't know how many days we have. I just know that's the purpose of government. We need them to get off their can and begin to do what they've been called to do. There are people that have violated this nation, things that are going on and hurt. Stuff you've, through WikiLeaks, God, don't let us forget that stuff. God's not forgotten it. So we got to pray. Is that okay? I know it's a serious time, and, but we got to do it. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, first of all, as the people of God... We come dressed in the blood of Jesus. The righteousness is in Christ Jesus. It's not in ourself. But Lord, we thank you that we can bind on earth and whatever we bind on earth is bound in heaven whatever we loose on earth is loosed in heaven so lord we thank you that we've been called to this moment we didn't you chose us we didn't choose you and so right now we take authority as the church of the most high God we break every binding spell every witchcraft every curse every judgment every satanic incantation we break it off of our president in the name of Jesus we can those spoken words and curses that will be spoken. We call those words null and void. We pull down every judgment, every work and spell of the adversary. We say no. We break its authority and power in the name of Jesus, through the blood of Jesus, Thank you, Lord. Now, we can handle that. So we speak confusion into the camps of the enemy across the world, that they would not have no communication. Lord, take your hand out of your bosom and destroy those that have risen up against your anointed ones, we pray. Lord, you put that in the Word. If you hadn't meant for us to pray it, you shouldn't have put it in the Psalms. You did, so that we would pray and believe God. Now, Lord, we pray for our government. We pray for Donald Trump. We pray for our Justice Department. It's your will that they punish evildoers. Lord, we ask you to give them courage, give them grace, give them mercy. God, give them the unction to fulfill what they've been elected for, to rise up and render the judgment to those that have wronged this nation and to hurt us in such a deep way. Father, we ask you to address the issue of abortion. It looks like men are not going to do it. So, God, you're going to have to do it. Would you rise up? Lord, you said bring all the children to me. So we cancel the curse against our children. And we ask you, God, to rise up and scatter the enemy in America. Lord, you put an end to it. Take it into your own hands. But, God, we pray our, our government will fulfill its purpose while we have opportunity. So, Lord, we thank you. The punishment of evildoers. Do it, Lord. And we thank you. Thank you we get to pray this kind of stuff. Finally, we get to be the real church. We're not him hauling around a bunch of little minor stuff that doesn't mean a hill of beans. And we forget when we walk out the door. God, we thank you that today, curses spoken tonight are going to fall to the ground. Judgments will be canceled. Spells will be broken. Incantations will have no power Because of the word of our God The blood of Jesus The name of Jesus We are a mighty fortress Because of our God The church in America So now Lord we're waiting for revival But we're not waiting anymore Our wait is over We thank you that America is on Right now has begun Another great awakening and we thank you for the people that are going to pile into this property from all over America. We prophesy from the north, the southeast, and the west. We prophesy a harvest that people would not even believe possible with those simple people in Moravian Falls. We're asking you, Lord, a part of the Bob Jones vision of a billion souls on this property. And we claim it and we thank you for it. And so, God, hallelujah. Bless the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hey, this is fun, God. This is church. Forget, son- Forget the stuff we used to do. This is a whole different time. Demons are trembling when you walk into Walmart. You are a son of God. Demons tremble. I'm telling you, cancer is right now in hell working on how they're going to hang on to this thing. Because they are trembling. These diseases are about to be blown out of the saddle. Our God is a God that... Well, anyway, i got to settle down. I didn't get to preach last week, and I'm not preaching today. But anyway, let's bless the offering. Then I'll introduce our speaker in a moment. Lord, we ask you to bless this offering now. Sanctify it. Lord, thank you. I haven't given in two weeks, so I get to give a whole bunch. This is great. God, bless this offering. Bless everyone in this room. Lord, there are people that need jobs. God, we pray for jobs. We pray We break off poverty in the name of Jesus. Oh, God, we pray breakthroughs, miracles. People will be lining up with the miracles that God has done. There'll be no room to preach because of all the testimonies of the goodness of our God. And we thank you, Father. So bless the offering and this day in Jesus' name. So, David, come, man, and minister. Welcome David Yarns. He's got a word. Let's receive it.
2: was thinking as uh, he was saying about Trump and the the witches and um, it's really proof positive of the move of God isn't it because uh, Jesus was clear he said blessed are you when all men persecute you and speak all manner of evil against you and uh, I think for a long time we've lived in this false understanding of you know, being in the will of God and what that looks like. You know, magic rainbows and unicorns come, and I step, I step from one cloud to the next. But, uh, uh, you know, for those of you that have been around Morningstar for a while, you know, there's plowing and, you know, uh, all kinds of stuff that happens. And I think everything that's significant in the Lord will experience that. And I feel like that could be a word for you. You know, if you're here and you're you're thinking like, gosh, why aren't, you know just the favor and the grace coming it's because God doesn't want you to be stagnant and he doesn't want your muscles to atrophy you know he wants to he wants to grow us and use us so I was thinking about that as Dave was talking I was also thinking about um, uh, you know the sense of the gathering growing and expanding and uh, Dave and I, uh, you know, we usually have dinner when I'm up here when I can. And we had dinner, I think it was last night or the night before. And we were talking about, I remember the time specifically, uh, he and I, and I think Shirley, when we came up to this facility, it had been vacant for how long? I mean, years. Seven years. And this, I don't know, if how many remember that, you know? It was just shells of stuff and things. And, I, and I'm like, Dave, this is going to be amazing. And, you know, this is going to go here and that's going to go there. But I, I, we were both encouraging each other. And now, you know, I get to come up every so often. I was just here a couple weeks ago with Lance. It was an amazing time. It's a real honor for me. And I kind of feel like you ever, like, visit someone once a year, maybe like your uh, relatives or something, and you watch their kids grow up and develop? and because you're not around them a lot you're like wow man the kids are getting bigger but they're there and they're like oh you know i mean they're seeing it on an everyday basis for me to come up here and just see the spiritual growth and the maturity that's happened here and the facility getting built out i snuck out uh when i was here a couple of weeks ago and went downstairs and started to see that uh incredible uh fellowship room you have uh and uh i was overwhelmed I mean, i'm almost to the point where i i got misty i'm from new york so i don't do that much but you know but um almost to the point yeah bless my heart thank you yeah almost to the point <laughs> yes it, you know, but I, I my my thought is honestly you know and I, this could be a little bit selfish but for me, it feels like... You ever go to this like restaurant that nobody knows about, and everything's just amazing, and you're almost kind of like, wow, I wish everybody would find this place, and I wish nobody else would find the place? You know what I mean? Because I don't want to... And then you start seeing more people come. So I'm at that, I got that feeling in my heart now. I'm like, man, this is so you know, sacred and serious, and all this stuff going on. I'm like, Lord, just kind of keep it. But I also feel... Uh, you know is uh, I work with Dave and the leadership of Morningstar I feel like this place is just ready uh, for growth and I want to talk about that a little bit today and um, I just love seeing everybody I came in this morning this is really funny I walk in the door and there were like three or four people and they're waving and I was so excited and when I went up to shake their hands they actually weren't waving at me it was someone behind me (laughs) and they just like walk right by so I'm kinda like huh (laughs) actually Actually, I was uh, in Guatemala not too long ago, and uh, I was sitting in first class, and I was doing a, a conference there. And I've been doing a number of conferences, and I'd seen real transformation talking about you know the kingdom of God and finances and all the things I love to talk about. So when I got to Guatemala, they're opening up the first class, and the security comes on, and the police come on. And I go, hey, what's going on? And there's, like, there's such a big crowd out there uh to welcome the plane that we've gotta you know go through security and I'm like, finally, I've been discovered. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Just let them in, you know, i but it was uh, what was what would happen is the president that had been in exile for years was in first class with me and he was coming back. So it was that same thing. All the cameras were rolling and I'm like, I've been discovered and they're like, no, please sir, you know, move along. Give <laughs> me lane. But um you know God is God is really good I hope you can see the slides um, you know I, I love graphics I love statistics I love slides and uh, it's just a, a way for me uh, to keep on track but I think as you look at things that are visual sometimes it, it has a way of um, you know kind of getting inside uh, your psyche so to speak you know I remember one time in in the city where I was pastoring They did a play, uh, and they wanted all the churches to contribute, and they wanted everybody to come to this play. So we all got behind it, and, you know, it was in our small city, and we did a big play, we rented out the theater. And the first night I went, I'm like, oh, no, this is terrible. The acting was so bad. It was the story of these people going to hell and judgment and stuff, you know. And the acting was so bad, and the props were so bad, I thought, Lord, I'm just embarrassed. And there were like 5,000 people in this, and right at the end, somebody got up and said, if you want to know Jesus, come to the altar. And thousands of people poured there. And I was mad. I'm like, I preach better than that every Sunday. You know, I own the Crown Theater. You can come. What is, you know. And I was, I was wondering, like, what happened in that moment? But I think with visual sometimes, it goes around our uh, kind of mental grid. You know, people were touched in a way watching that play uh, like the, like when they watch The Shack, you know, it goes around our mental filter and somehow it touches our heart. And, it, and you know, and that's the way the gospel is meant to be. I mean, if you even just a, a cursory look at the scriptures and at the gospel, you'll see Jesus using parables and pointing out things and bringing children and object lessons and, you know, equating the kingdom of God to fishing nets and fish and seeds and you know, and it's a way to impact people with, uh, with you know, imagery. Uh, and um, I wanted to talk to you about uh, really uh, what, what was it in, in, um, in a crisis moment that threw me into ministry. Now I'm not talking about salvation, that's another story. But at the point in time... Where I knew that I wanted to spend the majority of my life, whether I worked, uh, you know, I have had uh, work all my life, so I've, I've been somewhat uh, bivocational, maybe bipolar too, but bivocational certainly. Um, and, uh, but there was something that happened that threw me in. And I want to talk to you about that point. And it was this, this thing right here, William Booth's vision when i was a young man um i was just learning about church i didn't have like a church background i didn't you know no one had taken me to church as a kid and my mom and dad were catholic and i was kind of nominal there so i didn't have like a whole uh, grid of how things worked and when i first started coming to church i was trying to figure you guys all out like you know i, I honestly i didn't know what to wear or where to sit or how anything went and um you know made so many mistakes <laughs> i remember uh, someone had handed me and a friend of mine Bibles when we first got saved, but they didn't tell us anything about it. And it was one of the, Do you remember those old, like, uh, Jesus New Testaments? They had stick figures and the cross on it, and they had, like, the Gospels or something. And uh, you started in Matthew and you read through John or something like that. So my friend and I just started reading. We, we, we knew that we were born again. We didn't know anything else, and we started reading it. And he thought that it was one continual story of Jesus through the Gospels so one day I called him up and I said Jerry how's it going you're reading the Bible he goes yeah it's terrible they're killing him again <laughs> he thought he thought that Jesus kept getting resurrected born again <laughs> killed crucified and like sooner or later they were gonna they were gonna stop killing him and uh... <laughs> It's funny how sometimes we lose perspective of of what people think, but I'm going to talk about that today. So what happened to me is um, uh, I think by divine revelation, I got a hold of the vision that uh, William Booth had that started the Salvation Army. And um, there's not a way to describe, uh, first of all, I'm not a member of the Salvation Army or anything, but this, this was important really powerful for me. There's not a way to describe the circumstances that he lived in. Uh, The slums of London at his, the day when he was preaching, were some of the most deplorable, uh, poverty-stricken, rife with sin and prostitution. I mean, it's it's almost impossible in modern-day society to understand how dark and terrible his uh, London was at that point in time and through it he's pastoring a small church and um, what happened one day is he's in a carriage ride and he's going through if you can imagine the scene he's driving through London and you know people are walking and there's uh, prostitutes and drunkards and all this stuff but it's just packed with people and he's riding in a carriage and he's looking out the window and he had what we would call an open vision where the the natural scene that his eyes are seeing goes away and a supernatural scene uh... arises anybody ever have that uh... yeah 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 some is really uh... i think it's unusual i think it's there's more of it available for us but I think for me, supernaturally, when I read his vision, I was transported into it. More than just kind of, I, I don't know if I can explain it, more than just empathizing with it, I, I felt I could see what he saw. And what he saw, uh, um, uh, so imagine, you know, he's looking out this, this window, and as a pastor, he's concerned. He's pastoring a very small, let's, let's just be honest, it didn't have any impact, he's pastoring this, this church, and now, all of a sudden, through god 's grace and through the power of God, the scene melts away, and another scene comes and the scene is of a terrible ocean that 's full of storms. You know many of you have seen pictures, and you know there's just the sea is just writhing and i 'll tell you if there 's anything uh, that you want to understand the power of God, I think nature sometimes. You know you get out in nature and you just you just step back for a minute and you go God I think I'm like Bobby Connor said I've become way too familiar with a God of incredible power you know and the ocean has a way of doing that doesn't it I mean you see the storms and you know and you can imagine so he's looking through the carriage and he's seeing the scene and horror upon horror he sees men and women in that ocean waves crashing them drowning And uh, at at once, he's just, you know, mortified. Many of them are drowning, never to come back again. And as he looks in the vision, uh, there's an island that's like a little mountain coming out of the sea. And some of the waves are throwing people onto the island, and they're kind of clinging. And they're able to climb out of the sea. It was this incredible feeling of hope, you know, that there was a mountain, that there was a rock, that they could hold on to in that sea and then he saw the most uh, curious thing that those that were thrust onto the rock immediately forgot about the other people that were drowning and they began to go on their way busying themselves with daily chores some would play music some would read books uh, and uh, he—he was—I um, don't know—I don't know, I don't know the, the, if I have the language to describe it. But in that, you imagine seeing that scene from a third-party kind of heavenly perspective in this open vision. In his soul, he's crying out, you know, help these people. They're drowning. They're dying. And they—they they go on with their life, and it was so frustrating to him. You know, And in the vision, he actually saw that people would climb up this rock and they would seek God. And he said they would, they would call for his presence. They would call for him to come and comfort them and give them strategy and wisdom. But all the time, his spirit was hovering with those people in the sea, begging them, pleading with them to come and help get people onto the rock and the vision vanishes and i think for most of us the explanation is clear the sea is the world ladies and gentlemen be not deceived booth said this men and things are not as they seem you're either on the rock or you're in the sea and uh those that were cast onto the rock are those that find the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know, I've, I've often thought that, you know, I've spoken, you know, all my life, or, you know, long time, 20 years, I've spoken hundreds and hundreds of messages. I've always thought, Lord, I could just talk about the saving grace of Jesus for the rest of my life. Never move on to another subject and never begin to touch the first portion of the power of the blood of Jesus, the significance of you being born again. You're an eternal being right now if you're born again. Not when you go to heaven, but right now, if you know Jesus, your whole life, destiny, everything is changed. And the blood of Jesus can cleanse from every spot. I'm telling you that we could, we could just speak about this all, all, all day long and never exhaust it. Those that thrown on the rock in this scene were those that were born again, but the ones that began to uh, busy themselves with other things and you know paintings and uh, they had music groups and they had all these things in his mind was the church in my mind it 's the the church we forget don 't we many of you how many how many of uh, uh like kind of like my wife, always been saved, like from birth, you know what I mean? You can't remember, go ahead and raise your hand, like you can't remember, you've been in the church. How many of you clearly remember when you did get saved, when you were born again? Yeah, I think the majority of us. But for some reason, when we get born again, we begin to lose contact with the other people that were in our situation. I know for me it was survival, you know, I... I lost contact with a lot of my friends. I just saw some recently. But, you know, where are we in this process? So from here, Booth would go on to found the Salvation Army. This was the vision that started the Salvation Army. And his motto was, go for souls and go for the worst. That they um, declared war on poverty that they didn't build churches uh, like he had had. He had a church and, you know, trying to get people, that his, his model flipped. Instead of trying to get people to come into church, he was going to try to get the church to go into the darkest recesses of London. He did that, and, uh, and then the, the army effect came from him looking at his church as commanders and ambassadors of Jesus Christ and giving them rank and sending them out they declared war on the slums of uh, India uh, there was a there was a, a horrible disease back then that was a result of industry that manufactured uh, matches um, what happened in these factories of the days you can imagine back in the day of coal lanterns and you know uh, things like that matches were a real commodity it was a real industry probably be like making iPhones today or something but what happened is they, they had an exploiting effect of using uh, young girls especially. 13, 14-year-old girls would work you know, 10, 15 hours a day in these match factories. And the uh, yellow phosphorus was caustic. And they all developed a disease called Fosse Jaw. It was necrosis. Literally their faces would start to paralyze and uh, their skin would be eaten up. And um, they didn't want to use red phosphorus, which was safer, because it was a couple pennies more, you know. And uh, so uh, Booth declared war on this. And he, instead of just staying in his church and praying and believing for the sick to be healed, they took the money out of the treasury and they started a factory. As a matter of fact, I have one of, uh, it's, it's a real treasure for me, I have one of the original packs of matches made from the factory. And it says, light in darkest England on the front. And he said, fair wages, you know, uh, you know they pr- produce fair wages. And then every one of his church members rallied, and if they ever saw you using yellow phosphorus matches, they would berate you. They wouldn't enter your shop. They would... Um, you know, if you were using it in your restaurant or wherever it was, they would stand outside picketing and boycotting and telling people about the horror of it till all the, all of London got ashamed and stopped making it. And they went to Red Phosphorus. At that point, Booth closed the factory down. He had accomplished what he wanted to do. He, um, on his deathbed... Um, you know the Salvation Army had grown they were they're all around the world it's it's hard for us to imagine how much of a, a relevant modern powerful mission movement it was because we kind of look at the Salvation Army today and you know nothing nothing if you're welcome if you're watching by home or by webcam, uh, I, you know I believe the Salvation Army really wrote the book on helping the poor and, you know, disaster relief and where would we be without them? You know, uh, you know we all know the iconic kettles at Christmas time and the people ringing and, you know, those uh, vans that they send in for disaster relief. But it's 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 a shadow, in my opinion, of what it was in those days they would send people into Calcutta, some of the most incredible slums, and they would beat this drum and they would, they would share the gospel and people would spit on them and beat them and mistreat them. and There was such revival and such persecution, but it was a real movement and it spread around the world all from that vision. And uh, on his deathbed, I'll just, just share this, uh, once a year they would have a rally where they would, uh, like the missions conference, where they would get people from all over the world and they'd bring them together and they would share stories. You'd get up and you'd talk about what was happening in Australia or India or what was happening in other parts and these leaders of the Salvation Army and they would sing these songs and General Booth would give them marching orders for the next year, here's where we're going to go. Their banner was blood and fire. So... Imagine their flag said "Blood and Fire." Their motto was "Go for souls and go for the worst." And uh, uh, it happened to be coincide that the annual meeting was being held in London. Of all the people, all the the leaders of Salvation Army, you know, thousands of people are coming together to receive this time of you know uh, impartation from Booth and all this. But at that point in time, he was older then, and it would be, uh, he was just a few days away from death, and it coincided with um, the annual meeting. And he put some other people in charge, but you can imagine, they tried to rally, they tried to sing the songs, they, and they just couldn't, you know, because in the back of their mind they're thinking, what's going to happen with us as a movement? You know, will it die with him? Will the next leadership be able to take it forward? You know, um, so, you know, they're kind of trying to sing the songs or doing the things. And uh, one of the guys gets an idea, and he contacts the uh, telegraph company of London. Back in those days, that was was the cell phone for all y'all millennials. You guys don't even know what mail is. We actually had to write letters back in the day, you know. But um, you've grown up in a society without it, but you can imagine the telegraph was the form of communication, but it was really expensive. You know, if you're going to write a bunch of people, it was really expensive. So the owner of the London Telegraph service comes to Booth on his deathbed, and he says, I will publish your dying words, your last words, and I'll send it all around the world to whoever you want, and I won't charge you anything for it. It'd be like uh, Facebook saying you can reach everybody, or what? You know, I mean, it's the most incredible technological thing ever, and the cost was extraordinary. And um, you can imagine that platform that he has. So, Booth, you know, thinks about it, and uh, he writes a message and sends it around the world to all not just the people in London gathering at this conference you, you you can kind of see the scene in your mind you know everybody's this pregnant pause waiting to see what he's gonna say he sends it all around the world to all the outposts and he sends it to the people that are there gathering in London he can not come and see him but he sends this telegraph to him and immediately they erupt they're so excited They see the vision of the Salvation Army, and it would carry it through generations and generations. To this day, it still moves on from that one message. Think about it. Leaders, hundreds of leaders have changed. You know, boards have come and boards have gone, but still that movement carries on from that one message. And uh, the message... That he wrote to the church, and the one that with this vision and his dying words, would thrust me into ministry me, little old me, you know, you know, 18, I think it was 20 years old when I read this, 20, maybe 21 or something. I decided from reading that, that I wanted to give my life to the service of Christ. His message to the world, his message to this group was one word Others. Simply put, ladies and gentlemen, it's not about you. If you're saved, you are on the rock. And the people that you brush elbows with at the store, at work, at school, at Main Street, at Wall Street, in the government, if they're not saved, they are in the sea. No matter how nice their clothes are, no matter how cool they seem, they can recycle their garbage, go to the PTA meeting. If you're not found, then you're lost. Jesus said, if you don't gather with me, you're scattering. It is about others. You are on the front line. All of us. Let me tell you a little bit about what millennials say about the church. Millennials are a really interesting study. All y'all, I see a bunch of them over here. But... uh, you guys are totally different than any other generation we've had. You know, uh, it's just a real interesting thing. And moms and dads don't zone out, because these are the guys that are going to be paying your Social Security at some point, running the government, and, you know, you guys are going to take over. We're going to hand you the keys at some point. But this is what millennials are saying about the church. It's not relevant. It's not meaningful to me in my life. It's not practical, it should say. It's not practical. Just kind of mentally go up there. and It's not practical. Well, I appreciate church, but how do I get married, and how do I have a family, and how do I save, and how do I avoid temptation, or how do I, you know, what what does all this mean to me? How do I make this practical? I've got to live on planet Earth. They're saying that the church is not authentic. We seem like we're actors in a play, kind of playing out parts that we've rehearsed, dressing alike and saying the same things. Glory, brother, hey, praise God, things are coming down. <laughs> like, What do these words mean? You know, it's just, you know, it's hard for us sometimes, you know. But think of all the terminology that we use. Um, in writing the prosperity matrix the book is a crossover book my book i'll talk to you about it but it's a crossover book designed for unbelievers in the marketplace and i had to go through edit and edit and rewrite and rewrite to to remove kind of religious language from it because that's just the way i write and talk you know what i mean and i'd have to have friends of mine that are really like what what does it mean to be you know in the glory or you know all these things that we take for granted But you can imagine, Millennials, when they hear this stuff, they're like, this isn't authentic. And they're saying that they find God elsewhere. Now, um, is there a Kleenex here? If you don't mind, if you can mute the mic for a second, I just need to blow my nose. I got a little misty there when I was uh, thinking about William Booth, so... You're up or anything. I just wanna <clears throat> I don't want to lose any man points. <laughs> but check but you know what I'm noticing just now, check it out, man. I got a beard like Booth going on there. I wanna get the hipster look with the beard, you know, I want to grow it out, but I'm in that stage right now that is kind of like Amish homeless person. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like not quite hipster yet you know what I mean it's not like yeah, it's not like in, intentional so but Booth had it going on man he, if you would have like shaved him up a little bit he would have been a modern day hipster up there right so um, so what do we do about that I mean what do we you know first of all you know we we rave you know we rave against the unbeliever you now why don't you get saved why do you do bad things, unbelievers? Why do you want to be socialists? And why do you do all this bad stuff? And you know, why do you create garbage in Hollywood? And why do you waste so much money in the government? Why do you do these things? Why do you do? They do them because it's their nature. If you're not saved, think about it. You just do what you know to do. And railing at them, because they're doing things that they do normally, I don't think that that's the situation. What about, um, you know, they just do, by, they're by nature. I'm not, you know, listen, listen, don't judge Christian people. I'm not saying that it's a good thing. I'm just saying that they're blind. They're lost. They are under the influence of the God of this world. And holding up our fist and saying how bad things are, I don't think is getting the root of the problem. It's kind of like seeing an old dead tree and trying to tape apples on it with duct tape and go like, look at my tree, it's full of apples. Well, you know, you best start at the root system and fertilize it and plant it. And, and the root, you know, the, the fruit is, you know, their actions. But what's the root? They're not born again. They're desiring a society that allows them to have the kind of carte blanche for sin that they, you know, see other areas of the world doing. I was thinking about why the, um, why the press is so against Putin. Have you ever noticed that? Dave and I were talking about it. But they just rail against him. Well, it's because he stood up against the homosexual agenda in Russia. And to them, it was the unforgivable sin. You know, so Iran is cool. I mean, other other parts of the world that are probably more harmful to us, that you know, they're cool with. But for that very reason, we're shining a light in their beds. So I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about um, the the point where Israel wants a king in First Samuel eight five. Do you remember this? So uh, everything 's going along great in Israel, and Samuel is uh, the judge, uh, and Sam did a great job you know he 's really just did a great job as a judge, but at that point, it was uh, and for you economists i 've just been studying econ- uh, yeah economic theory again because uh, I want to be able to refute some of the claims of socialism, so I've been going back through my economics books. But at this point in time, I would say that uh, Israel was a theocracy. God was in control, and he appointed judges, and you didn't need a king or you didn't need a president, you know, because God was speaking to these people. And so Israel gets together, and they say this phrase, we want to be like other nations, we want a king. Do you guys remember this? And you can look it up in 1 Samuel 8 5. We don't don't need to turn there, but you'll see it. Um, They say, We want a king, we want to be like other nations. The modern equivalent could be like, hey, we want gay rights, we want women's choice, we want socialism, you know, whatever, we want to be like Europe, or we want to be like all these other nations. And I think if we're not careful, we start to look at we start to push back on the fruit of it but what's the root in this instance it's clear you know what the root is do you you guys remember what it said in first samuel eight four i always like being around uh... uh... pastor dave he's such a man of the word i mean he he almost talks to you in a non ending flow of scriptural references when you're around him I love the book, The Things to Come Have Come. Am I saying it right? Yeah, his book. Because it's like one scriptural reference after another. But what's the problem here? Why did Israel want a king? Well, the answer is in 1 Samuel 8.4. It's exactly right. Samuel appointed his sons to be judges. And he sa- they said to him, Your sons don't follow the Lord like you do. You're trying to push something on us. These guys are not saved. They're not born again. There's no power. They don't hear from God. And you want us to listen to them the way we listen to you. But we just as soon have a king. We just as soon go our own way. I mean, and you can see where I'm going with this, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's a thinly veiled You know, we wonder why the world is crying out for the things that it cries out for. It has not seen the church of Jesus Christ in power and in purity. Instead, it's seen a televangelistic, weak, watered-down view of it, and we say, come to Jesus, come, fill our pews, fill our churches, and they say, you know what? We just as soon do our own thing. Turn to someone and say, He's preaching now. <laughs> He's preaching now. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it is. And there's two things you can do. You can either bury your head in the sand, or you can, or maybe three things. You can rail against the, the world and say, Heathen, pagan, sinners, and all. <laughs> they're just doing what they're doing because you know who's going to give an account for Wilkes Barrel? All y'all in this room, not the unbelievers, not millennials that are casting off restraint by the drove. It's our watch. It's our time. God has given me all authority to bind and loose on this earth. He's given me, Dave Yarns, you you watching by TV, he's given you the ability to be salt and light. You are the only ambassador to heaven in this world. If people want to know how to get in the kingdom, you're the only one that can let them in. You're ambassadors of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you can see these slides. Uh, I really like Barna's uh, statistics. How many people like seeing statistics about stuff? Yeah. Well, 150% of people say statistics lie. You'll get that one later. but uh, I think we like seeing statistics as long as they don't get in the way of what I'm preaching. You know what I mean? As long as they line up with the the theology that I have, don't let them get in the way. But let me just go through this. 59% of millennials who grew up in the church have dropped out at some point. Um, It is a crisis. the U.S. ranks, and these are just new statistics, I've been kind of going over them this weekend. These are the best sources that I can get, so if I'm off a little bit, just give me grace, but I, I've really been trying to do my best to just present these to you. And I, I'm not here to, to beat us all up, you know what I mean? But um, I just assume know where we're at, right? In um, the U.S. ranks third behind China and India as having the largest portion of unsaved people. We're an unreached people group. Isn't that amazing? Maybe Africa will start sending missionaries over here. We got one right here. What? (laughs) They've already started. (laughs) Yeah, they'll start sending missionaries over. Um, You know, we'll cast our bread on the water and it'll come back. So... um, why do people attend church? I thought this was interesting. 43% attend church because they want to be closer to God. Now, I'm sure that they want to buy my books and they want to hear me preach and, you know, but but really, what have we made church into? People just want to come to be closer to God. We should be like the four friends of the paralytic. Do you remember that? They, um, they went and got their friend that was paralyzed, and they said, we really can't do anything to help him, so we're going to take him to where he is. They couldn't get in. They dug a hole in the ceiling, and they lowered this guy down. And Jesus looked up at the four men, and he said, it's because of your faith I'm going to heal him. That's what church should be like. You know, it's not me I mean, I I want I want you to buy my book. I think it's transformational. My point is I think we need to get out of the way a little bit and just have an environment like this morning. Honestly, you know, if you're watching by TV, if you're watching, like, I sense the presence of God here this morning. And I think it just takes us getting out of the way a little bit. I mean, there are other reasons that people... Uh, go to church, they've always gone there, they want to learn more about God. But that overwhelming response is that they want to be closer to God when they come to church. And why don't people attend church? Um, Forty percent say they find God elsewhere. And 35, I mean, think about it. If you are a student of statistics, to have 75% of your choices broken down into two categories is really significant church is not relevant to me personally that's because they have not seen the real deal bone-crushing devil-stomping miracle-working fire of god uh... now uh... when they see that they're wired for truth and they will recognize so when the unbeliever hears you prophesying, they fall to their knees, and they say, truly God is in your midst. That's what's happened. I think we've done this. This is my little graph, so don't make fun of me if you don't like my picture. But uh, don't judge me. Don't judge church. I think we've done that. We've tried to fit as many people as we can into the church instead Of doing this where we're trying to equip train and get people I almost heard a clap there come on give the Lord a hand yeah you know uh, my friend Lance and I we get to go around the world talking about the seven mountain mandate those are the iconic seven mountains family economics government media arts entertainment the church. But really, we're, we've got to move from this to this. Because um, I don't know if you've noticed, but this morning since we've been here, we haven't really interfaced with a lot of unbelievers. They haven't thronged in and started parties in here and, you know, tried to listen to music. I know it sounds funny, but they're all out there you know when you work in the restaurant right you probably see a million of them my favorite waitress right here by the way favorite place to go i mean if you're in, if you're in wilkesboro you got to go to amalfi's man that rocks doesn't it yeah and uh but uh you it, you know she's interfacing with the unbelievers on a daily basis when you leave here and you go to your place of destiny whether it's your school for your young people whether it's your business whether it's your place of work your homemaker you're inter- your interacting with people uh, with other kids at the playground or you know maybe you're you're doing uh... music or wall street or main street wherever you're going that's the front line and our job pastor dave's job my job is to equip you and support you you know we should end every sunday by saying you are now leaving and going to your place of destiny you're now leaving and going to the front line. We hope you got everything you came for, because we want you to be light and salt in that. Now, you know, it looks different for each of us. Some of you, it might take a long time to win the trust of your co-worker to really get to the point where you can share Jesus with them. It might take years. You know, I remember um, I worked in an environment that was... Um, that was heavily influenced uh, by the occult. Uh, When I was a younger man, I was an entrepreneur. But I worked with a bunch of folks that were animists. You know what I mean? Trees have spirit and all this. It was just occultic. And uh, one of the leaders of the religion worked in our accounting office, and her desk was right near mine. And she just gave me hell all the time, you know. Uh, it was just terrible. You'd always be hearing these cutting remarks about me and Jesus, you know, because they all knew where I stood. And uh, one day I'm coming, into, coming to work, and I'm like, oh, I don't even want to face this anymore. And the Lord said, why don't you do something about it? And I pulled over. There was a little church there. I almost felt like it was hallowed ground, you know, because I, I got on this little church, and I got on my hands and knees, and I said, I demand this thing stop I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am the absolute image of Christ. I have all authority of heaven behind me, and I've got the ability to bind and loose. I bind that spirit from working in that shop in the name of Jesus, and I loose revelation in Jesus' name. The power of God came down the next day. The next day I come into the office, and the first time I'd ever seen this lady quiet. She's just sitting there at her adding machine. She was kind of like the ringleader of all the offices. You know that, that one person, right? You guys, you know, she's like the ringleader. She's quiet. And all of a sudden I hear her, My door was open, and she did it so I can hear She said, all night long last night, all night long, I had an image of Jesus dying on the cross. Why did he have to die? I saw him with nails in his hands and blood coming down. I, I, why did he have to die? She called me. She said, Dave, come in here. Tell me why this man died on the cross. Don't tell me, church, that the reason we've gotten into the situation that we're in is because Jesus is powerless. You know, that somehow the gospel's you know, varnish is worn off a little bit. It's the power of God to save souls. This is a little bit of a a look at America and what we believe and where we are. Uh, About 72%, what was that one? That one's 82%. Somewhere between 75% and 83% of America claims to be Christian. Isn't that interesting? We are by far, you know, if if those of you, if you haven't seen it, go on my Facebook. Right at the top, I've got a picture of Trump saying this. Because Trump, when he was campaigning, he's like, what in the world is going on with you Christians? You're, You're a bigger voting block than men. You're a bigger voting block than women. You're a bigger voting block than people that work. You're a bigger voting block. You are by far the biggest voting block of people in this U.S.A., 83%, 85% of you, he goes, he's like stunned, like he can't get words out. And he goes, why aren't you getting the kinds of things you want? Why aren't we? I mean, think about it. If 82% of us are Christians, Ed, why do we even need locks on our doors? You should be able to leave your truck unlocked with all your tools there. I mean, 82% of the people, no one's going to take it. You should be able to go into Walmart, and instead of a cashier, it's just a a box, and you kind of put money and take money out, you know. It's because we've lost our way, some of us. Sixteen percent are captive Christians. They believe in the absolute truth that they glean from the Bible. To them, life is about defending their faith, they're uh, like us, us in this room, we would be considered. And this is uh, Barna's uh, statistics. I just make the slides. So, uh, but I think this is really important. Um, captive Christians are the ones. There's 16% of us. But the bigger block is, are these folks that are called casual Christians. Those are the ones that the world interfaces with. And after they meet with them, interact with them, walk with them, talk with them, see their lives, watch them on TV, the world walks away and says, "You know what? I think I'm good. I don't think uh, I want to be a part of that." <clears throat> I looked at this. Uh, anybody ever seen this article? It came out uh, several years ago? I thought this was amazing. It was a, some statistical research done by Willow Creek and Bill Hybel. Willow Creek at the time was the fastest growing, what we would call seeker-friendly church in America. It was just exploding. And through it, Hybel uh, does a survey to see what people believe and what they're doing. <clears throat> Is it all right if I walk down here? P-by-y feedback or anything? If I do, all right. It's hard for me to see you guys, so... They do this. They do this survey, and they want to see what people in these fastest, the fastest growing church in America, what they believe. And what they found out is the majority of them, Dave, are not born again. The vast majority don't know the truths in the Bible. Don't read the Bible. The vast majority of them have no biblical footing. This isn't me saying it, railing against it. This is uh, Bill Hybels. I, I applaud his. Uh, He came out and said this, and this is what he said. He said, after looking at this, he said, spiritual growth doesn't happen best by being dependent on elaborate church programs. They spent millions and millions of dollars in programs. Um, They had, you know, things for this, and millennial meetings, and coffee houses, and all this stuff. But he said... He said, first of all, in the headline it said, it was the biggest wake-up call of his life. When he saw the statistics, it was the biggest wake-up call of his life. He said, prayer, Bible reading, and relationships. And ironically, these disciplines don't require multi-million dollar facilities and hundreds of staff to manage them. The way the gospel works today is the way it worked for the, since Jesus was here. It's you getting courage enough to walk across the street and begin to form a relationship with your neighbor. And when you earn the trust and he sees your integrity, one day you'll be able to say, I want to tell you about Jesus who can wash your soul who can save you, set you free, can turn your family around, can throw you on the rock. So not only in this life, but in the age to come, you'll have victory and purpose. You'll know true love. And by the way, it's going to cost you everything. It's not easy believism. I'm not trying to have you close your eyes and bow your head and Slip your hand up somewhere where I don't draw attention to you because the gospel will cause you, cost you everything. Whether you remember it or not, or whether you know it or not, or whether it was in this wording or not, when you came into the kingdom, you said, Lord, cleanse me from my sin. I know I said this. Cleanse me from my sin. Break off the shackles of bondage in my life, set me free. Please, Lord, give me relationships and love and purpose and grace for my life. And I will give you everything. I won't hold anything back, Lord. I'll give it all to you. My future, my job, everything is yours. That's what true discipleship is. I've got something that I want to... uh, Let me think where I want to go here. You guys doing good? I do a lot of um, uh, how do I want to say it, like uh, workshops and stuff. So, like right about now, I'd be like, "All right, let's all break into groups," (laughs) you know. But um, I do have something to do that for you. I want to uh, give this all to you for free. and uh when I mean that, you're not going to get contacted by me or other people later and say, "Hey, you know you're you're part of a uh a pyramid scheme or something." <laughs> I just want to give it to you i don't uh this is a tool that Lance Walnow and I developed over the years, and it takes a look at our personal constraints, like a lot of us we get a little bit one-sided in our christianity i see this in business people a lot they're like dave i really feel called to business i really feel and they make their appointments they prioritize they do everything but sometimes they can sacrifice their family or their health or their key relationships in their life and they get 10 15 20 years down the road and their family's estranged or you know so what we've, dis- what we've done is we've looked at how constraints in our life keep us from entering our destiny, and we developed a very simple diagnostic tool. We call it the Wheel of Life. And we usually charge 150 bucks. but Dave, Pastor Dave White and myself, and we'll, if, we, if we clap loud enough, maybe Pastor Shirley will get on with us. Come on. <clears throat> And they were, they were faithful enough to trust, they, they trust me enough to, to, to go, what we're going to do is, I want to give this to you, and, and as many as are watching, you can get online, those of you that are watching, you can download this. Uh, all you need to do is send me at info at DaveYarns.com, just one word. You can just say wheel, or I saw Dave, he wants to talk about the wheel of life. And I'll send this to you. And then Dave and uh, Pastor Shirley, Pastor Dave, will get on with myself, and then we'll just have a one-time discussion online, and we'll talk to you about where are you emotionally, spiritually. Now, you don't have to send the results into me. You know what I mean? I'm never going to see this. This is just yours. But it's a way for us to kind of have reality in our life and go, okay, Lord, where am I in this? Because imagine a wheel where three-quarters of it is... Uh, 10 on a 10 scale like those outer ring but then one quarter of it is flat you know you're going down the road there's going to be lots of bumps if you've got constraints in some areas of your life um, it will really hinder you from getting to where you need to go so this is free Uh, does everybody understand what this is it's going to be a personal diagnostic tool that Lance and I developed it's yours for free you can just download it and never get on the webinar with us it's self-explanatory um you don't ever have to send your response in but it's really a way to look at your life in a very holistic way and say god where am i on these things and it's it's easy to do and uh you know we love doing it and uh the three of us will get online and we'll talk about just different areas honestly there were times in my life where i was unbalanced you know and many times, still am, you know. And and how does that affect us, you know? So we'll we'll talk about those things. And then uh, outside, I have a resource for you. I've got uh, you can get the, my book, The Prosperity Matrix. I've got a, a life application guide. I just got a I just got a call from a, a very wealthy guy in Florida. He's done the same thing many people do. They take this thing seriously. It talks about different areas of your life, how to prioritize, how to recover from setback. And then we just did a Destiny Weekend. How many were here a couple of weeks ago when Lance and I were here? Yeah, we had a great time. That was our best Destiny Weekend ever, and I carved out two audio sections from it. It's a $51 value, but you can get the book, the workbook, the two Destiny Weekend audios, all for 20 bucks today, yeah, because my staff isn't here. So I, I could... I could type it in myself, and there's nothing they can do about it. So it's all out there for 20 and you can give by credit card and stuff. It's really my heart is to give you the best I have and uh, put it in your hands. So it's a $51 value for 20 bucks. I have a Kingdom Life drive. It's 11 high-definition messages, and it's on one little credit card. It's really cool-looking, but those are the 11 messages and you can get that package it's the prosperity matrix the life application guide the destiny weekend audio and the life drive which is 79 dollars and I'm throwing in a bonus track business at its best oh, I think I can see it up here better business at its best free it's 130 dollar value and you can get it all for 79 bucks so that one's available out there today so Let's make some faith declarations and then we're going to turn it over. And we're going to do a little bit of ministry. You guys are all so cool. I love preaching. There's a liberty here. I hope you've had fun. Hopefully, if, you, you know, if you've enjoyed this and it's made sense to you, please Facebook me, like me on Facebook so I can continue the conversation with you. But let's go ahead and stand and let's make these declarations together. Can you guys see those all right? Raise your hand if you can't, if you cannot. If you want to come up a little bit, uh, hopefully we can, but we're just going to make a couple of them, because I I find these things are really powerful. Come on up a little bit if you can't make them. Just push someone out of the way. Say, like, I'm not going to be left out on this one. But let's end this on a high note, because you are going from here to your place of destiny. We're going to change this world. We're going to show them. It's almost like coming into a third world country now, Dave. The orientation that people have to the gospel when they see the real thing, they're going to be fired up, charged up, tangled up with Jesus. All right, let's make this one together. We're going to do this in unison. I proclaim, I have the grace I need for today. I have the power, the strength, the determination that nothing i face will be too much for me i'll overcome every obstacle and outlast every challenge now overcome every difficulty and be better off than before come on give the lord a shout <clears throat> one more this one's an important one i declare i will speak only positive words of faith and victory over myself my family and my future i'll not use my words to describe the situation i'll use my words to change my situation i will not talk to god about how big my problems are i'll talk to my problems about how big my god is come on let's give him a hand for that one and the last one before i bring pastor dave up here let's go ahead and speak this one Because I feel this happens to people that that get to be my age and older. The devil comes around and for some reason he tries to tell you that it's too late. It's too late. You've missed it, you've done it, you've made mistakes. But the research out there suggests that people that are 50 and older come into convergence. Now, not, not to mean if you're younger you can't do it, but when you're 50 and older, your skills, your gifting, your passion who you are comes into a place where God can thrust you into your life's work because you've got all that experience it's the opposite so let's speak this one out together and then we'll bring Pastor Dave up here we'll give a big shout to the Lord are you ready I speak out that it's not too late to accomplish everything God has placed in my heart I've not missed my window of opportunity God has favor in the future and is preparing me right now because He's about to release a special grace to help me accomplish my dream so that I can receive it today. Let's give a huge shout to the Lord. Lord, thank you that you're going to accomplish it in our lives today. In Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have been exceptionally wonderful today. So. Go ahead, I'll see you out uh, back with the books, but come on. Thank you,